This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the In Search of More podcast. I am your host, Ellie Nash. Join me weekly on my quest for more. More from myself and more from this world. We'll see you on the other side. All right. Hi, Liba. Hey, Ellie. How are you? Good. Doing well. I'm sitting here with Liba Baruch, Master of Education, correct? And a reading specialist. And Danny's, uh, Danny's wife. Yeah, very blessed. Yes. I know Danny a long time, and we get all our cards from Danny, so. Thanks for supporting him. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's the other way around. I think it's great. Their service is amazing, so. Thank God, I yeah. recommend it. A plug, an unpaid-for ad for. Uh... <laughs> Executive auto. <laughs> <laughs> Executive auto. Yeah. Okay, so speak to me about um, what a reading specialist is what is it what okay does a reading specialist do? so a reading specialist is somebody who's trained in reading programs that are designed for kids with reading and learning disabilities specifically reading disabilities um, and so we're trained with um, different programs basically like multi-sensory literacy programs that really work on rewiring a child's brain because when a child has a reading disability, basically what happens in essence to their brain, and you can see it in an MRI, is there are, there are three parts in your brain that allow a child to successfully read. And when a child is, is born with dyslexia, two of those parts are not activated. They're so is not, it always dyslexia that's creating an issue with, with with reading? reading? Not necessarily, because it could be a learning disability. There also could be ADHD. There are other components. So you, we're talking about typical versus non-typical brains. So typical is dyslexia, and that's where someone sees letters or numbers differently than they are. Right, right. It's a, it is a myth that you know people think like dyslexia means like a child is seeing letters backwards. It's not necessarily the case. Um, but in essence, dyslexia is the inability to um, have a concept of breaking down words. So, so we can already, by the age of like four or five, when a child's learning how to rhyme or a child's hearing songs and all those little things, you can already tell if the child is going to have a reading disability or has a reading disability. When you say you, you mean you. Saying you can already tell, not me, I can't tell, but you're saying you can right, tell. Right, right, educators. Right, so what is it that you see? We see that a child has difficulty with rhyming. We see that a child has difficulty uh, repeating a song. They're not remembering words? Yeah. 
They're having difficulty with the words. They're having difficulty with the pronunciation of the words. Uh, so already at that age, we can say, you know what, this child, there are some red flags. We might want to get some remediation for them. So words specifically don't register for the, this child in the same way? Correct. As opposed to images, which may. Right, right. Yeah. So, okay, you were talking about the brain and the three parts of the brain that go into that. and Yeah. Talk more to that. Okay, so... Um, trying to think. Okay, so we have the frontal part of our brain, which works on, um, just trying to remember. You have Gosh. to put it on your spot. Okay. Yeah. Over um, if you can explain it broadly, meaning not the specifics of scientific terms, okay. that'll go over my head anyway. More okay. the generally, like what's going on with the child who can't, um, who isn't understanding. Who isn't understanding to read. Um so there's there's this intervention. There's multisensory intervention with phonological and phonemic awareness that teaches a child, basically gets those parts of the brain that are not firing to fire. And through this in early intervention, we can get a child to read and to be able to thrive in life. So what does that look like practically? Meaning when a child comes to you, what are you doing to get that part of the brain to... Activated. To, activated, yeah. Yeah, so we start with something called phonological awareness, which is the ability to manipulate sounds. So I'll give you an example. So let's say we have a child and we say the word bat, right? Say the word? Bat. Bat, okay. Yeah. Um, most typical brains can, if I say to them, okay, now switch the first sound for a k, they'll be able to say the word is cat. Or if I say take away the k, what's left in the word, they'll be able to say at. Right. Children with non-typical brains, specifically dyslexia, they can't manipulate those sounds. So when they come to me, we give them explicit instruction with these phonological skills. All right, here we go. It's an ad, but it's not an ad because I was paid. It's an ad as an expression of love and appreciation for someone who did a lot for me and this podcast specifically. I'm talking about Ryan Carter from Scarlet Row. Many of you may know Ryan because he was a familiar face in the early days of the podcast, but much more than being a familiar face, he was kind of the, the juice behind the podcast from the very first day I had the idea. He's the one who pushed it from not just online webinars, but for consistent content, then going from audio to video. Everything you see here was his concept, his idea, and his execution. In addition to this podcast, Ryan has done a ton of work for you in my companies from creative design, photography, brand strategy, brand development, creating video content, creating presentations, photography, and much, much more. So you name it in that space, you want to create content, he's your guy. Even if your idea is just an idea and you don't have it all worked out, bring it to Ryan. He'll help turn that idea into something you can be proud of. Reach out to Ryan at scarletroad.com. Once they get this foundation, which typical children just learn, right? They're in preschool. If they go to a quality preschool, they're learning these skills. They're picking up on these skills. But our children who have reading disabilities or learning disabilities or are struggling with ADHD, they're missing out on these skills. So when they come to me, they're receiving this explicit one-on-one multi-sensory instruction. And what happens over, over time as they're getting this instruction? Then suddenly they're able to tell the difference between 
Right. So that's a really good question. So basically, over time, when you're giving them this instruction, number one, you're giving them incredible one-on-one -on -one instruction. You're giving them that boost to their self-esteem. And you're teaching them skills that their friends, their peers know already. So by giving them this strong foundation, you're setting them up to be able to read because that's, that's the bottom layer. Once they once they get really good with the phonological skills, the ability to manipulate sounds in their brains and play with sounds, then we move on to playing with words, with syllable types, and then we get them reading. So that in, you know, if you take an MRI of a child pre-instruction and then post this intensive instruction, you'll see how different parts of their brain are suddenly being fired. They're being activated. And there is so take? much hope. Is there a typical time frame? Not really. It really depends on... It's more like months, years, weeks? So it depends on the amount of instruction. So I, I just started this new model over the summer where children come to me for four to six weeks. We do intensive intervention anywhere from three to six hours a day. Within four to six weeks, they're good to go. You can go back into the classroom and we, we really close those gaps that have created from their disability. Wow. Yeah, it's really incredible. Yeah, the problem is, is that a lot of children are not getting that intensive support. What's happening right now that I'm seeing is that children are going to general ed cl schools, classrooms, and they're getting reading therapy once a week, or they're getting tutoring once a week or twice a week. And you're basically prolonging the amount of time that the child's sitting in the classroom and not and, and with the gaps not being closed. So right, and then they're missing out on all this other instruction that's going on. At exactly. The same time. They're missing the other instruction. Plus they're going through, it could be a whole year or two years of going through schooling, thinking they're stupid, thinking uh, they're not worthy, thinking that everybody else is better than them. There's so many negative things that come along with prolonging that instruction. Right. I can imagine it sets a child, it could, could potentially set up a child for a lot of emotional challenges. Yeah. Psychological challenges later yeah. on. So that's why I'm trying to go with this model of send your child to my learning center. Let's do this for four to six weeks. Let's so it's full it. days? Four yeah, to six weeks. it depends. So they're on, basically not in school for those four to six yeah, weeks and they're just with you. Yeah, I just had a child, actually they're from Israel and they have a house here in, uh, in South Florida. Uh, they were here for the summer and... Her child was really struggling in school, and she knows me from before they made Aliyah. Uh, so I started working with her in the summer, you know, every day for an hour. And as the summer was coming to a close, she said to me, Leva, I'm really worried to go back to Israel. My daughter is really still having a hard time. What do you think of the idea of keeping her here in Miami for longer? And we do six-hour days. So I just finished that before Rosh Hashanah. I was doing six-hour days with her where we did tons of movements. We, we swam every day together. We literally did everything together. We swam, we biked, we went to the park, climbed, we had picnics in the park. And that was all in combination with intensive remediation, intensive multi-sensory reading instruction. And it was a huge success, oh, huge cool. success. This episode is brought to you by OKClarity.com. OKClarity.com is the upscale version of ZocDoc for the Jewish world. It is the place for any Jew to find an excellent therapist, psychiatrist, nutritionist, or coach. And it's completely free to use. Every professional on OKClarity is vetted 
and experienced in working, working with the Jewish community, so they understand and respect cultural nuances like Shabbos, Shaduchim, and everything in between. What I love most about the OK Clarity platform is how easy it is to use their search and filter system to find the type of professional that you are looking for. They have dozens of providers to take insurance, and you can watch an introvert video of each professional to get a better sense of who they are before taking that first step to reach out, which I get. It's hard to take that first step, but many of us have, have found that to be so very worth it. If this sounds overwhelming, they offer a short form for you to complete, and their specialists will recommend the great professional for you, all anonymously and for free. Also, in browsing their Instagram, I found content that I loved, fun and impactful. They are also regularly hosting Instagram live sessions featuring different experts discussing pressing mental health and wellness topics and answering community questions, all anonymously and for free. So if you're not already following OK Clarity on Instagram and you're using Instagram, you definitely want to. Last but not least, if you have WhatsApp, OK Clarity has an incredible WhatsApp status with over 8,000 followers. And yes, admitted, I am one of them. Their WhatsApp is a free way to improve your mental health and they post humor so, what did they say? Laughter is the best medicine. Side note, side note, maybe the main note, if you're listening to this and you are a wellness professional, a nutritionist, a psychiatrist, a therapist, a coach, and you're not already on okclarity.com, here's an important reminder for you that this is a great place to be if you want to reach relevant um, members in the Jewish community, those who need your support and expertise. And one more thing. OKClarity.com is offering um, discounts or, in some cases, um, free sessions for those impacted by the war in Israel. Reach out to them. Get in touch. Addressing our mental health is the most important thing we can do, especially in difficult times. Is it a measure of intelligence in any way when a child struggles? Right. So that's, that is what so many people think. Do you know so many people call me and they say, Levi, I don't understand. My child's struggling, but they're so smart. And that makes 100% sense because a reading disability has nothing to do with a child's intelligence. You could be a high average intelligence and still be struggling with reading, still be struggling with spelling, still be struggling with math. So there is no connection to that. What is it connected to? What's what connected to? It's just that a certain part of the brain is Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen so, you know, so many children who come to me, their parents are at a loss. They don't know what's wrong with their child, so they go for, to a psychologist for a full psych at eval. And I've seen so many of these reports where the child has high average IQ, but yet there are a grade or two behind in reading or math and so much because it's not about intelligence. And that is something so many people think. We think that as kids. Right. We think if we're struggling with something, that must mean I'm stupid. Right. We don't think that, but we're told that. I think I thought that. Right, because someone communicated it to us. It's not necessarily a natural thought. Right, I don't know. I just remember growing up thinking I was stupid. I'm still traumatized. Right, but I'm saying my belief is that it wasn't a thought that you came to right. as a child. It was someone projected that thought onto you. Right, that's right. Then, it's possible. Yeah. Right. I, I, yeah, I think so. I think like my um, my middle child is very fast. Like when she runs, she's very fast. Like uh, like hard for me and my wife to catch up. To honestly, just naturally gifted, right? And um, I see that her other siblings don't 
we've never suggested and they've never suggested it that it's any reflection of them that they're not like she may be very gifted athletically i'm not i mean she's young but it definitely seems that way and i think with just one or two comments from me or my wife we can turn we can give one of her siblings a complex over that right. over them meaning i'm trying to think of um analogy i know someone who has two brothers very close in age one is incredibly incredibly smart and kind of geeky nerdy smart right so you know the kind of kid at 10 years old that's uh um i don't know memorizing scientific terms or you know reading science books or things like that just very into that and his brother's also very intelligent but that's if you compare him to the masses not if you compare him to, to the brother what? Not, not if you, not if you compare the, him to, to this, this brother. Right. And he's viewed as, and I think he sees himself that way as well. Like now he's a teenager um, in that same way. Like he's not, he's not smart, but he's probably much smarter than, right. than most people. It's just, he got this comparison. That's why I gave the analogy of my, my daughter, right? Like she's incredibly fast. So it seems to me and people around her who may not be, who may be above average speed. Right. right could just get that complex if an adult says it in some right says it i in guess somewhere. so that's really it's really tricky like i see with one of my children she's a she's only eight and she's already saying things negative about herself and i'm like so right someone introduced the idea right right it's so hard right. so hard especially with siblings you know like right. you just you see how your sister or brother is and suddenly like your younger kids could already be comparing, you know, think they're not fast because your older one is faster. Right. I'm thinking maybe like I should that. cut out this part of the podcast so he doesn't, so one of the other ones don't, don't hear it and think so. Right. 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 The reason I was commenting is because my oldest son once said, you know, it's not fear. She's so fast. Like he said about my sister and he didn't say it with any, um, like anything negative about himself. It was just like an observation. Like it's, right. it's raining or it's sunny outside. It was just right. like a, and I, I was like looking back and thinking that's why I thought of it as an example is how easily that can be influenced into him feeling something negative about For himself. For sure. I feel like it's bound to happen, right? The world, it's, it's an open place. And so you're always looking at what, even from a young age, you're sure, looking yeah. at what your siblings are doing, what your mother's doing, what anyone around you is doing, and you suddenly start going inwards and saying, I can't do that or I can do that. And so it starts from a really young age and it's it's about... I don't think it's even from a young age. It's especially right. from a young age. Yeah, and yeah. it's about, I guess, us as parents and educators and healers to be able to help our children through those things. Right, that's what I'm asking. So you're saying yeah. as a measure of IQ, it's, not, it's right. not a measure. There's just something else going on. Right. So at what age do parents typically notice it's a problem? And what's the average age that... Um, kids are brought to you to yes you guys yeah so usually teachers skilled teachers can tell when they're in kindergarten like four or five usually five they start seeing there's speech delays because the speech is very much related to the reading it's all part of the language processing so usually children will have difficulties with articulation or speech expressive language um, I find very often if the child's the oldest in the family, it's very hard for the parents to accept. And so it usually delays the intervention time. 
Oh, the oldest always seems to get screwed up a little bit more. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's just interesting how it happens. However, if you're like the second or the third or the fourth child in the family, and you already came to terms that this is familial or this, you know, we've been through this before, then the parents tend to get that intervention earlier. So I I start working with kids like from the age of five. It's interesting because it's definitely a like a beneficial thing for parents to see their children as particularly cute or particularly adorable, right? It's 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 useful. It's useful for them to right. want to spend a lot of time with kids who need a lot of attention. But on the other hand, that can turn into um, like a little denial around what the child actually needs. Yeah, there's a beauty in both. There's a beauty in seeing the child and saying, you know what, I really. I really think we need to get help. But there is also, there's also the beauty in the denial part because you're just seeing the beauty within the child. You're just seeing the child's light. You're, not, you're forgetting about the deficiency or the struggle that the child's seeing. You're just purely seeing that flame. And I think that's beautiful. I, have, I know people who are like that, and I'm like, I'm inspired by that. Right. In a but sense. It's not, right, but it's not your job. Right. Right, your job's right. to... Right. See the problem and help it. Right. Got it. So they're usually brought to you at what age, you said? It starts around f- age four five. Four or five. So the same time as they're noticing problems. Yeah. But you'd be able to pick it up with a child you're interacting with at a younger age than that. Yeah. Yeah. We have, I use clinical tests, similar tests that psychologists use to get an idea of where their phonological processing is age-wise, chronological age, to know if the child is missing some of these foundational skills. Got it. And are there, is there something that could be done more preventative before it turns into a self-esteem issue for the kids? There's so much that could be done. I mean, we're talking, if you give the child the intervention, I'm, right? I'm saying not, not in the context of... Of reading let's say, bringing them to a specialist. I'm saying, as a parent, are there things that parents can do at two years old, three years old? Because reading comprehension, if I understand what you're saying, it's it's kind of a a building block for everything else, right? We, In order to understand and communicate and think, we need words. Right. This is the way we uh, we move about the world. So without that, that creates a lot of challenges in all areas of one's life. So it's important. It's not like a side thing. It's very foundational for a child, reading comprehension. It's huge. So is there, are there things parents can do when a child is one, two, or three years old to avoid this whole process to begin with? You can't avoid when a child is born with a non-typical brain. There's no way to avoid that. However, there are tips. There are things that you could do that could help it. Um, but you're still going to need, if we're talking about a child with dyslexia, that child is going to need intensive remediation, regardless of what you do from when they're born till that till the age of reading. So there are things like reading. They say reading to your child from a very young age is so, so incredibly helpful. It exposes them to vocabulary, to the listening comprehension. It's so helpful. But if we're talking about parts of the brain that are not being activated, they're going to need that instruction. Oh, understood. Got it. If, and does yeah. it sometimes happen that it's not until a child is 8, 9, 10 years old till they come to you? Yeah, I get that a lot. I, get, I, I, I usually get a lot of students like 
first grade, second grade, third grade. I even, I had a high schooler yet last year. It's just some, there's so many components to this. I think parents have a really hard time wrapping their head around the fact that their child has trouble in school. It's almost like they think it's a label on them. It's very hard. It's right. very hard for parents to wrap their head around like this. Like a reflection on them in some yeah, way. Yeah, it's a reflection parenting. on them. And then sometimes if they struggled in school, it's like they're triggered by it. Uh, there's that money component because instruction, you know, hiring somebody to help your child is also really expensive. So there are so many things that delay a parent from getting that support. I find often like parents know, you know in your gut if your child's going to need that help or not. Right. Um, it's just a matter of pulling that trigger, you know, calling someone up and really following through. Understood. And this is very different than speech yeah. and help with speech, which is also very common for children. Yeah, this is right. So speech and language therapy is working on your expressive, a child's expressive and receptive vocabulary or receptive language. Meaning? Receptive is how they're processing language and expressive is how they're speaking. Got it. So yeah, this is this is the reading component. So very often I have students who are in speech and language therapy and also reading therapy. Oh, got it. It's all right. Going on. Yeah. So that's the other part of like it becomes so expensive and hard on parents. But you only do one of them, the reading. Right. I only do the. It's not. It's it's decoding. The term is reading decoding, which is pulling apart a word, like looking at a word like cat and saying it's cat cat right. that's the decoding part of reading and then there's a comprehension which is taking a sentence or a story and understanding it and being able to answer questions so there's two parts to reading awesome that makes sense got it okay let's yeah. switch gears yeah how'd you grow up how'd you get into this right. where are you from yeah good <laughs> questions <laughs> so i grew up in chicago i went through the chabad system system i'm the fifth of six I'm the second to youngest, and my parents are Balchuva, and I grew up thinking I was stupid from a very happen? young age. Um, I remember when I was in third grade, I had just come home from the JCC pool, and I went to my mother's room. It was like 8.30 at night. I went to my mother's room, and she said, we're getting you evaluated. That was like a death sentence for me. I was so confused. I was so hurt. I didn't understand it. I got evaluated. And that summer, my parents sent me to like an incredible ther reading therapist. I still remember her taking me to the freezer, her freezer, and showing me she had made cookies and put them in the freezer for me. And she let me taste these frozen cookies. Mm -hmm. I still remember that taste of how good they were, but I also remember the love she gave me. And that summer, I had this incredible reading therapy, but it that was it. So you were offered exactly what you offer. Right, now. right. Cool. It is really cool. I didn't know that until, like, I don't know, I started working. I did Rosh. I worked with Rosh for a little bit. Oh, cool. Years and yeah, years yeah. ago. And I didn't realize why I do what I do. Oh, really? You didn't put it together until? No, oh. until Rosh is like, what's your inspiration? What's your muse? I was like, I don't know. And then... He's and then we were talking about my childhood, and I started just crying. I, I was blown away by the fact that I see myself, I see like a mini Liba in every child who comes my way. I give them so much love. I do for them what I would have wanted for myself. Okay. 
but you, you're okay and not being frozen cookies, right? <laughs> right. I give them like fresh baked hot cookies <laughs> or like pretzels. Right. Okay. So now I understand. I didn't understand it before when you said you were taking the child um, swimming into the yeah. picnic. I didn't understand the the connection between right. what you were offering and that. Right. It's okay. all about connection, right? If if we're struggling with something and we sit down with somebody who's just showing us love and connecting with us and then giving us the skills we need, we're so much more receptive to that kind of support. Right. And that's what I, that's, that's my goal. Makes a lot of sense. Tell me, uh, you went straight from that experience in childhood right. in third grade to, to rush. So right, say right. a little more. Okay. So I went through my schooling years. I learned how to compensate for my weaknesses. I was like getting seventies and eighties on my tests. Um, as I was near, like, I, so let me let's yeah. dive a yeah. little bit more into the um, the challenges before meaning the reading comprehension. If you can take yourself into some of the emotions and memories, maybe around that those experiences, I think it'll be helpful for parents with children just to kind of um, maybe understand something or see something they're not currently seeing. So you struggled with exactly what you offer, meaning reading comprehension, right? The breaking Decoding down of the words and, and comprehension. Yeah. Else. So what did that? What was school like for you up until you met this wonderful woman with the frozen cookies? Mm. Everything was hard for me. I just remember, you know, seeing my friends answer questions in class and just be able to, it seemed so simple for them. Yet when I was asked a question, I had to really think about it. it took me a lot longer. And I thought I didn't, I thought I knew something was wrong with the way I was learning. I just didn't know what it was. I, I still don't know what it, I mean, I have an idea, but for all, even after the evaluation in third grade, I still didn't really understand what was what wrong. What do you mean you have an idea? Don't, isn't this what you live in today? You understand right. exactly. Right. But it's, it's diagnosing yourself, right? Right. So I have an inkling of, of why I struggled. I still struggle with it today. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, and I guess that struggle helps, maybe helps in some way with the, with the kids today. A hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. I see my own struggles and I know how hard it is, but I know there's so much hope. So what does a struggle feel like today? And when someone is going through a regular program of decoding, yeah, it's, it's only helping them. It's not, it's not bringing them to the exact same level as. As others? Is that what you're saying? No, it can. It can. I don't, my diagnosis for myself is like some kind of language processing disorder where like, you know, people, I could be talking with people and sometimes I have difficulty processing the language. So that's different than like decoding, actual decoding skills because I could read really well. Right. Um, gotcha. It's but more of like then. comprehension support. But back then, before the remedial therapy, you struggled with reading as well. I struggled with reading comprehension. So the decoding part is breaking apart the words, being able to just read. Just reading sentences, that's the and decoding. And understanding what it says. What, sorry? Reading it and understanding it. Exactly. So the understanding part was always hard for me. So I, I used to sit in classes and the teacher would give, you know, a frontal lesson and then be like, okay, now answer the five questions on your sheet. And that was really hard for me because it's about processing what the teacher just said and then going and applying 
what the teacher said to the questions being asked. Got it. And this, what you're describing is that same challenge where a certain part of the brain is not activated. So the, no, so it's, it's different because I didn't suffer with, I don't have dyslexia. Oh, understood. Okay. So it's more maybe of a, of a different kind of learning disability. That that's what you were dealing with. Yeah. Got it. Versus a a reading disability. But most of the people, so people who come to you could have both. Yeah. But kind of the emotional feeling will be the same. Exactly. Right. Just one of frustration and feeling. Feeling not worthy, feeling stupid, feeling like everyone's better than you, feeling like you can't do anything. Got it. So when your mother said to you, Libo, we're going for an evaluation, the way you described it was something that was kind of like the worst day of your life come true. Why? Why? Because I didn't understand. It felt, it felt like I was being put in this box. It felt confusing. It felt dark. Until you went. Until I went. Until you went to, and then you had a completely different experience than you imagined. Yeah. Okay, and then like the love, the attention, the instruction, everything else. What? What happened after that? So after that summer of, of support, I really needed more. But because, you know, it wasn't financially sustainable for my family, I kind of went on through schooling, learning to compensate for my weaknesses. So processing language was hard for me. What I did was I ended up memorizing everything and whatever I was able to spit back, I did, which was why I got 70s or 80s on my tests. And I kind of went through schooling that way where I was able to cover up as much as I could. Like, I don't know that my friends ever knew that school was hard for me. Got it. You just felt like you had to work much harder. So that kind of exactly. stayed, with, stayed yeah. with you. Yeah, my parents would like you know, ask my older sister's friends to help me with my homework and things like that, which made me feel even more inferior, even more stupid, because it wasn't the support I needed. It was just like, you know, homework help. Okay. And then, so going from that place to eventually getting a master's in education, I imagine there was quite a journey. Yeah. Take us through that a little bit. Yeah. My parents are about Chuva. And my grandparents always told us we can't get married until we go to college. And I just, I said, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to go to college. Like, I'm going to go finish high school, do what I got to do, do my year of seminary in Israel, and, like, I'm going to be done. I'm just going to get married. My dream was to have this big family and have babies when my babies were having babies. Like, that was my ultimate goal. <laughs> my goal was to be marrying off my kids and having babies at the same time. So I never imagined that I would go to school. I never imagined that I would go to college. But something shifted for me when I came back from Israel. Israel being seminary. Yeah, Israel being seminary. I just, I didn't know what to do. So I was like, okay, I I better go to college. I don't know what else I'm supposed to do in my life. So I started college. It was really traumatic for me. It was really hard for me. My first class in college was science. Where'd you go? I went to, I started school in Chicago in Turo. I don't think it's there anymore. I did one semester there. And when I was 19, I moved to Miami. Did you do Turo, Miami? I did Turo, Miami. 
Sorry, yeah. in Chicago it was TI. It was called TI. I don't know if it's still there. It's like a women's college. And then when I moved to Miami and I was 19, I went to Turo. Possibly I ran into you there because I was in Turo there too. Oh, so, okay. I remember which years. Oh, yeah. Those few but years I, they were there. Yeah, now that makes sense. Yeah, when they were in South Beach there. Yes, yeah. Behind that. Um, the the Shul, Temple right. Emanuel, yeah. Oh, that's funny. Okay, I don't remember. Maybe going back 2006, 2007, something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. Okay, yeah. you went, you got your bachelor's or master's there? I didn't finish it, no. Oh, okay. No, I was on track for that, and then at some point in time, I had to pick between business and school, and wow. I picked business. That's amazing. So, okay, cool. So you were in Turo. Yeah, I went to Turo. I got my bachelor's there in education or spe special education. Everything was hard for me, but I really pushed through. And at the time, like when I was that age, like 19, 20, 21, I, I don't remember feeling, if that, or I can't recall it. I just, I just remember like going through them, going through it. Like right. I was working. Autopilot of sorts. What? An autopilot of sorts. Yeah. yeah. Like I was, I was living on my own in Miami. I moved here with my sister. We were, I was working to pay rent and food and then going to school at night. And I was just going through it, not really thinking it, not really thinking about it. Um, so I finished my bachelor's. I was like, okay, I did my bachelor's. I could do my master's. Like, what's the big deal? Meanwhile, I have, like, my siblings all went to school and all very successful. So I saw them and I was like, I want to do that too. I want to be as successful as they are. They're really... My siblings are like a huge inspiration for me. And so I, I pushed through. I went through a master's degree while getting married and having a baby. Cool. It's pretty crazy. Like yes. I look back. Where did you do that? I did it online, which was so hard. I did it online with Tarot. Oh, cool. Yeah. Neat. Yeah, online school sounds... Uh, online school sounds was really hard. hard. Yeah. It was really stressful. I cried a lot. I... <laughs> I got you. So, <laughs> <laughs> does anyone cry here? <laughs> On this, <laughs> yeah. I think people have cried before. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. Definitely, um, definitely gotten emotional. I've gotten emotional on the uh, discussions for sure. Yeah. Um, where was I? Do you remember some of you? You said early on it was you felt more like you're on autopilot did it click for you at some point what you were doing did it yeah i would say like a few years ago it finally clicked for me like i i've been living on autopilot for many 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 years which is really it's heartbreaking but also i'm so proud that i was able to finally break through and be present and know know myself finally learning who i am and it's helped me in my business. It's helped me in my family so much. Right. So let's talk about that uh, that process of going from machine to human. Right. Right. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Unreal. It's common. Yeah, it's very common, unfortunately. Unreal. So what was that process like? Um, I left a stable job. I left working for somebody in a school having a stable income and suddenly just going on my own. And I was just faced with so many hard things. What made you make that decision? I've always had this like vision of myself 
being very successful and ambitious, entrepreneurial. And so I felt that I got everything, I learned everything I could in this school with my boss. There were some also negative. You were doing the same kind of work? Yeah, I was doing the same work in, a pri- in one of the private schools here. And I, I just felt like I needed, I needed to do this for myself. Like this also, I'm realizing my career has been so healing for me. So I, I, left the, I left them. I left the school and I started my own business, continuing what I was doing. The work with Rosh was before starting your own business? Yeah, that really gave me, I was afraid, I didn't have a voice. That was a big thing for me. Throughout my childhood, I didn't have a voice. I was overpowered by so much. I didn't allow myself to be. And I think with Rosh starting my journey. That was the first? That was my first time like, saying, you know what? I want a voice. What made you reach out to Rosh? I realized that I had a lot to share and I didn't know how to share it. I felt that anytime I would talk with someone, even just a conversation with two people, my face would get all red. I would just get all so uncomfortable. And I remember saying to Danny one day, like, I'm sick and tired of of being constricted. Like, I want to be free. I want to liberate. <laughs> I want a voice. And so he's like, okay, Leva, like, do what you got to do. And I called Rosh. I remember where I was. And I was like, Rosh, I need your help. I was so uncomfortable. Like, I think I was shaking as I called him. He's like, okay. And we did three sessions together. That started my journey of becoming an effective communicator. I then went on to Toastmasters. What year approximately was it when you called Rosh? Mm, it was before mic drop. It was before mic drop. Yeah. Gotcha. This was when he was, I think he was just starting with his public speaking. Right. You know, I was his first client. I think I might have been his second. Oh, really? <laughs> That's neat. No, maybe like That's his neat. third or fourth. Right, we'll we have to Rosh ask Rosh. him. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was incredible. He's amazing at what he amazing. does. Amazing. Real, real gift. Yeah. He was amazing. I met in his backyard. Awesome. Yeah. Right there around Byron Avenue. Yeah. Yeah, my first that's so funny you have a gift of bringing out other people's gifts is that my gift yeah i've been looking all over for it (laughs) it's really incredible you're saying like the gift of rosh or what were you referring to with that what i mean i think that you showed and maybe rosh correct me if i'm wrong but you brought out his gift oh rosh yeah i think we i i kind of feel in the relationship with rosh like we did that for each other right Right. In a lot of ways. See, that's that brings me back to seeing a spark, right? When you see a person, you see that they have this spark. And you're either going to be that person who, like, lights, continues to ignite that flame, or you're going to be the, you know, that spark is not worth it. And so I feel like that's our, that's our, our journey here, right? To see the beautiful sparks and the lights within every person and be able to make it wow. Right. And I feel yeah. like you did, you you do that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's one of the best compliments I ever got. Really? <laughs> I think so. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We should get Rosh here because right. I feel like. He's been spoken about so much on this um, podcast with many people. I mean, Ida, Ida Schottenstein was here. He spoke about it with her. Um, many others. His name's come up. I've mentioned him many times. And early on in the, you know, when I first launched a podcast, Rosh was giving me regular feedback about, <laughs> hey, I think you should do this. I watched well, that. You should consider doing should. that. You know, 
he's a, a coach. He you know, really coach. is amazing. He's excellent at what he does. And, uh, you know, at some point in time, we should probably have him on the, yeah. on the couch. Maybe make him cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's tears. No, just, <laughs> that's awesome. So that was your first... That was your first um, kind of uh, almost introduction into almost being human. Yeah. 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 It's pretty crazy. Yeah, right wild. It's wild. What an interesting a, way to start. I know. It's really crazy. I think it's about supporting, not supporting, I think it's about surrounding yourself with people you want, you, you aspire to be or you respect because they're going to help you, not, not necessarily explicitly, but they're going to help guide you to becoming a better you. And you're referring to who with this? I, I think my sister was very influential in my life. Which one specifically? Zisa. My, she's a year and a half older than me. I was always overshadowed by her all my life. <laughs> but then as we got older... We saw the, I saw the light in her and she saw the light in me. And so she's really helped me over the years. Got you. So at a certain point in time, it was somewhat contentious. And then you were right, able to. Right. We used to pull each other's hair. <laughs> <laughs> Legit. <laughs> I interacted with her at some point through some of her communal or nonprofit work or something. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. did incredible work. Yeah. Very accomplished. Yeah. Uh, there was, there's a speech by, um, Y.Y. Jacobson, which made an like, incredible impact on me. It was called TanyaShiva.net, his uh, platform. I think it's, I can only see my brother's face when I see my own. Mm. And, uh, you know, basically talking about, he, he used the biblical story of um, Yaakov and Esav and kind of their um, struggle, so to speak, almost as a way to for someone to find their own identity. And I guess it happens with siblings where we identify in some way uh, in relation to our sibling or to our siblings, right? That's who's immediately around us. Am I taller? Am I shorter? Am I smarter? Am I stupider? Am I more, you know, am I getting the bigger piece, the smaller piece? Like that's, it's in relation to that. And sometimes we can create an identity crisis for ourselves of sorts. So true. And then kind of that, that journey. So it's neat. I'll plug it, and um, maybe we'll even put a link to it if the guys who edit this video and post it actually listen to it. There's, it's, an, it's an awesome, awesome talk. I mean, I'll share it with you afterwards. Awesome. I can only see my brother's face when I see my own, and about uh, Y.Y. Jacobson talking about it. Really special. Mm-hmm. When you described the relationship with your sister, it reminded me of that, that talk. I think that there's much more to be said um, about the relationship with siblings than is said, meaning through the healing process, there's a lot there's a lot that we'll hear about parents, mothers and fathers and ancestors and you know our family trees, but not always so much about siblings and the impact they have and sometimes the order of the family where we are in and it's a lot of our experience is. Mm-hmm. I yeah. see with my kids, I have three kids, and their experiences are very, it's almost like, it's it's possible that siblings have a larger impact on each other than the parents, than the parents have in some way. Yeah. Meaning the experience, the day-to-day of the experience of 
my kids has to be very connected to their siblings. I mean, so close in age, they spend so much time together. If one is nice and loving and, you know, so enjoys true. the other's company, that's one experience. If it's very combative and hair pulling, that's another experience. Yeah. yeah. So true. Yeah, a lot to be said on that. Yeah. We should have a podcast on sibling stuff. Anyway. Yeah. So, okay, you're talking about seeing the spark in others and your sister Zisa kind of being a particular inspiration for you. Yeah. Okay, and continue through that that process if you could. If you could break it down as much as possible because people listening in, um, I think it helps. It helps understanding where someone is in the journey. I, mean, I, I wish certain parts of it were were filmed a lot of people reach out to me and say um, uh, different parts of our own journeys were filmed. Everyone's, like everyone who's kind of on that path. I receive messages all the time from people about the TED Talk I did on um, on uh, porn addiction. You know what's ironic is I hate wearing this shirt. I love this shirt, but I don't usually wear it because it's a shirt I wore in the TED Talk. So I always feel like oh. <laughs> it's too recognized. But I put it on today for some reason. I haven't worn it in years. <laughs> anyway, so um, I got people message me and saying, hey, you're the first person I ever told. I saw your um, your video on uh, porn addiction. They'll find me on Instagram usually. And they'll send me this message and say, I can never imagine giving a TED Talk. As if I could have. Right. Like, as, right. If, as if I could have imagined when I had a fear of public speaking or as if I could have imagined when I was just starting dealing with my addiction and my process that one day it would have led me to that place. I mean, it doesn't even, make any sense. That's why I think that breaking down the process for someone, meaning you don't come across now nervous or uncomfortable or right. anything. Are you? Were you? Not really. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's so much unknown coming on here. I was definitely nervous. I did a lot of, you know, breath work and I do my 20 minute of swim to calm myself and mm -hmm. journaling. So I did do work. I was nervous, but I can't compare. I would have five, six years ago, I would have never said yes. I would have never came on here because I would have not known what to say, what to do. It would have been way too uncomfortable. It would have been way too in your head. Yeah. Like, right. The autopilot wouldn't have known what to do with this one. Right. <laughs> no, so it's, it's liberating to be able to do something like this. Right. It's crazy that it's just a conversation, but we need to be liberated to speak. We need our voices back. Right. Right. I think the skills, I think that by doing Rosh, having my three sessions with Rosh, and then taking it to a whole nother... Did you give a speech with Rosh? You just did three sessions? I just it? did three sessions. He kept pushing me to do a speech, but I never did a speech. Okay. That's why I never... But wait, okay. but... I did Toastmasters. Okay, talk about that. Uh, do, you know, do you know about Toastmasters? I've Toast heard of it. Everyone's heard it's of it, incredible. but I've never interacted with them. So I went, I, I used to be a religious Toastmaster goer. I went every single Monday. I was a member of the club. It was a club in Hollywood. It was run at the time when I went. The president of the club, his name is Asaf, Asaf Mengel Green. He, in addition to Rosh, he changed my life because he was not only the president of the club, but he was my mentor. And he was he guided me throughout the whole year, year and a half of being at Toastmasters. What happens at Toastmasters is that you learn to become an effective communicator. You're a you can you know, go up on stage and speak for three minutes, and then you're evaluated by a crowd of professionals. You also give formal I also gave formal speeches where I had to prepare a speech, get up on stage in front of 20 professionals, and just talk. 
I did, you don't have notes in front of you. You're standing up there like this little chicken and <laughs> everybody is evaluating you. And after your speech, there's an evaluator. So it's literally like you're putting your kishkas on stage <laughs> for everybody to like tear apart. But it didn't feel like that at the time. It felt very supportive, very loving. And that's where I really, I, I, I think that that Toastmasters really took everything I learned from Raj to a whole nother level. Got it. Frozen cookies and all also? Yeah. These evaluators? No. <laughs> Everything. Everything. Yeah. All the love. Yeah, all the love. It's all about It's interesting love. that relationship, normally, often we think of being judged or evaluated as a negative thing. You've had very positive experiences with that. Yeah, very positive. And I feel like that's the motto of Toastmasters is like, you're, we're, not, we're not leaving you to swim with the sharks. Here, you're in the pool, but we're supporting you. We're, your, we're the lifeguards, you know? So. Are there themes um, around the talks one gives like for example with Raj it's very personal in nature when you're talking yeah so the way it works with Toastmasters it's, it's an international organization right. so it's a very systematic and structured where your first speech is an intro to yourself so you're speaking three to five minutes or five to eight minutes about yourself then the next speech is like a persuasive speech an informative speech and every like few weeks you can give another speech and there's like a whole rubric to follow it's really cool for anyone wanting to speak and learn to become an effective communicator. It really was life-changing. Really, really neat. And you did that for a year. I did it for like a good year and a half, and then COVID hit, and I stopped going. This was right after Rosh. Yeah. Instead of giving a speech, you went to Toastmasters, and you kind of yeah did that for a year. Yeah. Why? I really... Why Toastmasters? Meaning I don't know anyone who... Um, went that route Toastmasters again this what was, was this was Zisa again yeah. she had gone and she's like Liba try it she had known that I did Rosh and I went and I realized that I have a voice like that was the continuation of I have a voice and now I know how to use it because that isn't a great feeling to get the voice it, back it really is amazing <laughs> I don't know if I ever had it so of course you had it Okay, I don't know. You ever seen a baby afraid to cry for their bottle? It doesn't exist. Right. We lose our voice gets taken away, a hundred percent. Right. Yeah. The healing process is not. We're not trying to add anything new to ourselves. You didn't go to Rosh so he can give you something. You went to him so he can take something away. He removed some block right. that was shoved on you by society, and said, "You know, you don't deserve to talk right. for whatever reason." He didn't give you your voice. He gave you your voice back. Right. You know. Right. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty unreal what you could accomplish if you're not afraid. Like that was a big motto in my head of I can do hard things and it's only going to help me. 100%. It's only going to help us. So we have to keep pushing. That's the the hard part is the pushing. It's saying yes when your butt when your belly is saying no. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> a friend of mine says um, fear, like if there's a, a door that has this word on it, fear, to him it means enter. Wow. Like that's, yeah, that's how it's it is. calling your attention in that way, not with aggressiveness. Right. Right. In, in health, in yeah, balance. I think it was uh, David Data, writes The Way of the Superior Man, talks about kind of leaning in, like right at the edge. Don't, not blasting through it and pretending it doesn't exist. There's another book about this woman, I forget her name. But she's a, she was a skier. She spoke all about fear. And her, she did crazy things, like skiing off of cliffs. And I forget exactly what her 
something with a K was her name. I don't remember exactly, but she wrote a, a book about fear. And what she was explaining in the book is that a lot of people saw her life and doing these very competitive things with skiing as someone who was living without fear. When really she was driven by fear completely. Yeah. It was kind of pushing past it in such aggressive ways that was her way of hiding from the fear versus actually working with it. Like I'm, I'm uncomfortable up to this point yeah. and I'm going to push just slightly past that. That's what David Data talks about. Just kind of like pushing that, slowly, like right at the edge, like living right yeah. at the edge, not blowing plastic. Like it doesn't exist. Right. Not all oh, I'm afraid of public speaking. Just let me stand up in front of a room and yell at the top of my lungs so I can get over my fear. Right. It's, no, do that three-minute talk. Yeah, right. do that three-minute talk around a safe audience, right. where that's kind of like living at the edge of it. Meaning, you know, you're safe. Everyone in this room is doing the same thing as as you are. You're all submitting yourself to the same process. All uncomfortable in different ways, or want to learn a skill. There's some reason everyone is there, but the feeling of fear is still right. is still there. Versus, it's kind of that 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 concept. Yeah, with fear, so true. Fear meaning enter. That's how we grow. If not for the fear and the hard things, I feel like we become stuck. Yeah, I've realized recently that I have this like fear of nature, in some way, like walking alone in a mm. forest at night. Like it just—I don't know what it is. This is association. It just—you know—here there's a lot of nature. Right, it's so beautiful here. Right, when I first moved here, like at night, just walking through this right. place when it gets real dark at night, I was very uncomfortable, and I was like, "Hey, that's something I should." There's probably a lot in nature for me if it makes me that afraid. It's not like, I mean, it's not a crazy fear because I don't interact with it normally. But I was thinking this morning, I was talking to my wife about it. Like, let's just do stuff more in nature. I don't know what's pulling me about this, but why am I? That's interesting. Yeah, just different. Yeah. It feels different to me, like walking through woods and i'm imagining all these animals that might be there i don't know where these right. ideas came from right you should but, go camping well yeah yeah Maybe that's camp- exactly what i'm yeah. saying is there must be something right. we'll come back in a few years and talk about right. like what i found in nature but there's a lot to learn from from fear i had an incredible fear of public speaking i mean right crazy i relate crazy 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 well how'd you get over it um i started really um 12-step meetings was my real start. I when I was going, you know, my sponsor said, "Hell, you you just have to share." Like I'm like so nervous to to share. It was a room of ten people, and I just started saying like, "Hey, my name is Ellie, and it's incredible uncomfortable. It's incredibly uncomfortable for me to share." My sponsor said to share, so I'm doing what he said. Thanks for letting me share. Like that was wow. my beginning shares were like that, and as I did that more and more, I'm like, "Wow, this is so." strange to me that in a setting of you're talking sometimes eight ten people but it was the kind of the format of a 12-step meeting that made it very uncomfortable for me where the whole room was silent and one person yeah. spoke all attention yeah. on you and I felt like my each word is being evaluated in 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 some way and uh that was the first start and then from there I did a um I did a uh, the documentary with JCW, and I was filmed for that documentary. It's called Seven Orthodox Survivors of Abuse. That was kind of the first time I put myself on camera, and I was interviewed for the camera, which is a conversation, but it still felt I still felt some of those nerves. And it wasn't really until 
Oh, and then as that was happening, I was just more and more aware of this fear. It was so present for me, it kept coming up. And I said, I just have to, I have to get over it. And at some point in time, Yechavet Saito from Lamplighters said, I was supporting the, the school. She said, I'd love for you to speak at the um, a school dinner. And she gave me very, very late notice the first time she asked me, I think the day of. And I said no, but afterwards, playing in my head, I should have said yes. I should have taken that opportunity. There were a couple hundred people in the room. So many months later, she said, this time I'm going to um, invite you in advance. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I said yes this time. I was so nervous. I mean, I drank before, had these crazy twitches. It's, I'll see if I can find a video on YouTube and maybe um, Tyler will be nice enough to intersperse it in here. I don't know if my nerves come through as much as it was, but I had these ticks where I kept rubbing my forehead with my thumb and my right leg would involuntarily twitch upwards <laughs> during the speech. And I just, what I realized then was talking about anything besides for the fear of speaking would just it'd be kind of like ignoring the elephant in the room. I wanted to share a story about my mother, uh, something that really inspired me, probably the most inspirational story, something that changed my life. My mother was a teacher in Beis Rivka. A lot of people know that she was a French teacher in Beis Rivka. She actually said the reason she was a French teacher was in the hope of meeting girls of her sons. <laughs> couldn't get married, but, but didn't work out. God had other plans. So. At one point, the Shrifti Yeshiva went on a strike, and I believe all the teachers went on a strike, and my mother said that she won't go on a strike uh, because she's not in the job to make money, so she's not gonna leave for money. And that story changed me. I said that I'm gonna go to a job that makes money. So if I'm talking about the school and why I want to support it and how amazing I think the teachers are or whatever I may have thought to say, and I was all nervous about stuff and not addressing it, it just would have been an awkward speech. So I spoke about the fear mm -hmm. a lot, meaning I mixed that in Well, you to want it. everyone to know. Yeah, I just put it out there like, hey, right. I'm nervous right. ab ab about this. It just, I find it makes it much more comfortable instead of someone thinking about the fact that Right. I'm nervous and then it's uncomfortable for them, uncomfortable for me, like just put it out there and hey, I'm doing something that's uncomfortable. And then I connected it to, to the school, but I read that speech. And after that speech, um, I connected with Rush. And he's like, Ellie, don't read your next speech. Let's, right. let's work on this together. And that's when he and I started working together and it was, I don't know, it felt like a drug just to be able to have my voice, just to be able to be in a place and say, I want to say something and right. I didn't have to think about it and I wanted to... Or sometimes something planned. Hey, I'd love to get up and share my story. And eventually I started doing that with JCW. We was traveling, kind of like a traveling show. We went to different cities across America, even a little bit of Canada, and just started sharing stories, you know, people who went through abuse or rabbis and therapists speaking from their perspectives on what they thought about abuse. And that was where I really got a lot of experience mm -hmm. um, speaking. And then one thing led to the next, and here I am speaking a lot. Wow. I don't make money on it, but I'm speaking for a living, basically. Right. It's amazing. <laughs> so, this episode is brought to you by OKClarity.com. OKClarity.com is the upscale version of ZocDoc for the Jewish world. It is the place for any Jew to find an excellent therapist, psychiatrist, nutritionist, or coach. And it's completely free to use. 
Every professional on OK Clarity is vetted and experienced in working, working with the Jewish community, so they understand and respect cultural nuances like Shabbos, Shaduchim, and everything in between. What I love most about the OK Clarity platform is how easy it is to use their search and filter system to find the type of professional that you are looking for. They have dozens of providers to take insurance, and you can watch an introvert video of each professional to get a better sense of who they are before taking that first step to reach out, which I get. It's hard to take that first step, but many of us have, have found that to be so very worth it. If this sounds overwhelming, they offer a short form for you to complete, and their specialists will recommend the great professional for you, all anonymously and for free. Also, in browsing their Instagram, I found content that I loved, fun and impactful. They are also regularly hosting Instagram live sessions featuring different experts discussing pressing mental health and wellness topics and answering community questions, all anonymously and for free. So if you're not already following OK Clarity on Instagram and you're using Instagram, you definitely want to. Last but not least, if you have WhatsApp, OK Clarity has an incredible WhatsApp status with over 8,000 followers. And yes, admitted, I am one of them. Their WhatsApp is a free way to improve your mental health and they post humor so, what do they say? Laughter is the best medicine. Side note, side note, maybe the main note, if you're listening to this and you are a wellness professional, a nutritionist, a psychiatrist, a therapist, a coach, and you are not already on okclarity.com, here's an important reminder for you that this is a great place to be if you want to reach relevant um, members in the Jewish community, those who need your support and expertise. And one more thing, OKClarity.com is offering um, discounts or in some cases um, free sessions for those impacted by the war in Israel. Reach out to them. Get in touch. Addressing our mental health is the most important thing we can do, especially in difficult times. Now we're in Toastmasters. Keep uh, Yeah. So I did Toastmasters. That's when I think, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I so I went on my own, right? I started my own business. Um, so I just want to be clear. Yeah. Even though you kind of said it, but I want to yeah. highlight it. You would have not had the courage to start your own business without the work with Rosh right. and Toastmasters. Right, right, a hundred percent. Because what it means to go out on your own is having meetings with directors, speaking with teachers, speaking with parents. And I was so afraid. I remember when I was working in the school and twice a year you have parent-teacher conferences. Oh my God, that was the worst pre-Rosh. Like <laughs> I would have to take some medication to just calm me down. I couldn't, I couldn't bear the thought of meeting with a, a parent and talking to them about their child. Like that made me so nervous. And as I went through Rosh and Toastmasters, I realized it's, I, I could do this and I'm good at it. And so that led me to starting my own business full time, being able to, it's almost like I had to sell myself. I had to meet with directors, tell them who I am because I needed those referrals. Right. I needed them to say, call, you know, if they're meeting with a parent and telling the parent their child's struggling, I needed them to say, call Liba. So I had to really put myself out there. And if I hadn't had those skills of being an effective communicator, being able to speak publicly, I would have never been able to do those things. Well, I would even go further. I would say that I don't think anyone can find their purpose or be living their purpose in life without finding their voice. Right. Meaning there are specifics in your purpose, right, that um, you needed your voice for. 
But I don't think that was the only. Right. I don't think that was the only thing. There's just so much power, like so much of our own power that gets trapped between our chest and our neck, right? And we're not expressing ourselves. It's almost like there's an emotion that we can't get out. There's something, there's an energy stuck in our chest that can't be released through our mouth. And if we don't overcome those blocks, then we can't be living in our purpose. It's true. There are specific things that you had, which is I have to meet with parents and I have to meet with um, teachers, but I have a hard time believing that someone can be living their purpose in life and hasn't overcome their, either they don't have the fear or they've overcome it. Right. Yeah. It's definitely. I'm open to being challenged on it. it. No, I agree with you. I'm saying not by you. I'm saying by anyone else. I'm open to be challenged. I just have a hard time believing. I think it's part of being a fully grown man, a fully grown woman and living our purpose in the world is to have a voice. For sure. Yeah. I want everyone to have a voice. Yeah, it's very important. Yeah. That's where the power is. You, know, you talk about being overpowered, right? Isn't that how you you spoke about your childhood at some point and you said you felt overpowered. Right. That's that's what overpowered feels like. Like not being able not to. Not being able to express ourselves right. in your voice. Meaning physically there are many things that over, can overpower us. Almost any two people can overpower one pretty much. I mean, you know, almost any two people can overpower a third person. Yeah. Physically, but that's not, you know, and any one person can overpower a person physically with a tool, a knife, a gun, or something like that. But over, like the feeling of being overpowered. less overpowered, I think, is the feeling of not being able to, right. to express ourselves. Yeah. We need our speech, we need our voice okay, to navigate ahead. the world. Yes. So, so that's, I mean, I, so I've been, I have this private practice for like four or five years now, full time. Um, I have a tutor who works for me. I have to make a lot of hard decisions, hard conversations and Toastmasters and Rush really gave me that boost that I needed to have all these hard conversations. And I think what I, what I see, um, in general, speaking and being with other people is that when you can have the effective communication, meaning when you know how to say something in the right way, it's received. It's received well. And so basically what I learned is I can get whatever I want if I'm able to communicate it well. I was just dealing with a situation, not going to go into it here, but I was dealing with a really hard situation And I said, you know what, like, I don't want any messengers. I don't want anyone going and talking behind my back. Like, I'm just going to go head on and talk with the person who makes the decisions and have this really hard conversation. And I did it. And I was really proud of myself. And I wouldn't have been able to do it if not all my growth and all the work that I put into me. What did it, what else did it look like besides for Rosh and Toastmasters? Like you mentioned this morning doing um, breath work. Have some of these other things become part of your practice? Yeah. So I, I exercise every day. Um, I, do, I go in the pool for 20 minutes. I set my timer. I put on some music and I swim laps every morning. It's really amazing. Um, I started doing breath work ever since Yessi asked me to come on. I was mm-hmm. like... I, 
I'm so nervous. I got to calm myself. What am I going to do? And I, I've always heard about breath work. I did it once months ago, but not like one-on-one. -on -one. So I started doing it one-on-one -on -one with a breath work facilitator. And it's been... Do you want to give them a plug here? I'm saying people are always looking for breathwork facilitators. So if there's right, I had to good. recently very different experiences. Right, they're all very different. It's so interesting. So yeah. interesting. I was I w I couldn't believe it because I had gone to someone last week. One of my friends is becoming a breathwork facilitator, and so I did it with her last week, and then I did it with someone else yesterday, and it was such a different experience. Right, I couldn't right. believe it, but my take and it was very healing for me. Like I whispered things into my ear as a little nine-year-old girl. In yesterday's experience. Yesterday's experience. Me. But at the end of the day, what I realized was last week, I felt so connected with the facilitator. And I noticed such a huge shift in those few days following that breath work versus yesterday where I didn't feel that connection. I didn't feel connected with the facilitator. And it just, it just reinforces for me how if you don't have, if I don't have, a, if I don't feel connected, it's just, you're missing so much. We're missing so much. And that is my, that's like my purpose. That's my purpose to feel and be connected with people, with children, with adults, with my friends, with my family. I just want to be connect. I want to connect. What's that saying? Um, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Right, right, okay. right. Okay. So I, I feel, I feel like I, I, I care very deeply and I love very deeply. That's neat. Is there a? Um, you said a lot, but is there a closing message you want to leave uh, these people with? Mm. You can take a few deep breaths before if you want to. <laughs> I mean, there's so much. I would just say my closing message for all of us here is that we're all human beings. We're all on this journey in life. We have hard things. Let's just support each other. Let's love each other. Let's be kind to one another because that's all that matters. Everything else is, is extra. That's awesome. Thank you. Sure. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you for joining the uh, sure. the podcast discussion. Did we make it all disappear? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's just a conversation between, right. <laughs> between two human beings. What that was in reference to was before the mics and lights and everything went on. Yeah. Um, you had referenced this, I don't know, maybe this conversation as some, like a big deal or something. I don't remember the exact term. It is used. a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> so I said very quickly, it'll just become a conversation right. between two human beings. Right. The mics disappear, the lights disappear, the people in the background disappear, and it just two people having a conversation, and hopefully you benefited from it. I certainly did, yeah. and anyone who listens to it does as well. Yeah, okay. Thank you so okay. much. Thanks.